Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, a program that brings you together with Christian ministry leaders, authors, and pastors to discuss the major issues of our day. I'm Larry Lennon-Schmidt, your host, and I thank you for joining us today as we seek to encourage and equip followers of Jesus Christ to show His heart and mind in all that we do. Today, we feature a leader in the area of creation care, our environmental stewardship, who is Mitch Hescock, president of the Evangelical Environmental Network and co-author of Caring for Creation, the Evangelical's Guide to a Healthy Environment. Today, we'll have a conversation on questions like, how should a Christian think about and act on taking care of God's creation. What does dominion mean? What are some issues we face, and what is a Christian response? So please stay with us. This is a topic that impacts us all in so many ways. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to hear podcasts of our past radio programs on topics including faith and work, science and art, fighting human trafficking, the spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, and more. Our guests have included Oz Guinness, Andy Crouch, John Burke, Jeff Van Duzer on Faith and Work, and others who are leaders in various aspects of faith and culture. The website also offers audio and video from our past conferences and seminars on many faith and cultural topics, including the works of C.S. Lewis and much more. You can listen to Alistair, Grath, Walter, Alistair McGrath, Walter Kaiser, Dallas Willard, and many more there. And our radio programs are also available as podcasts as Hill Country Institute Live. The program is supported by donations, and you can donate to support this program at hillcountryinstitute.org or call in 512-680-7993, 512-680-7993. For donations over $100, we have a copy of our featured guest book, Caring for Creation, The Evangelical's Guide to a Healthy Environment. So visit hillcountryinstitute.org. Institute.org for donations, and please contact us if you'd like to sponsor this program. Now let's welcome our special guest, Mitch Hescock. Mitch, thank you for being with us today. It's a it's really a great honor and a delight to welcome you to our program. Oh, the honor is definitely mine, and blessings to you in the name of Jesus, to you and all that listen to you. It's I'm just so pleased and happy to be here today. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate that, and uh, the love of Christ uh, to you as well. Mitch, you, you have a... Uh, Really, an interesting background. I'd like for people to to learn a little bit about. Uh, you know, there's a song, "Coal Miner's Daughter," and that that comes close, but that doesn't quite describe you, does it? No, I'm the on the male side of that, so I'm the, both the, the coal miner's son and grandfather, grandson of coal miners, and actually, even myself, I worked for 14 years in the coal industry, designing great big grinding mills to grind up coal into dust for power plants for electric generating. So, um, yeah, I grew up in a little 
town in western Pennsylvania called Blandberg. Uh, it was a little town, a coal mining town of 300 people. Um, I actually went to a little country church there and actually preached my first sermon when I was in the fourth grade. And ever since that moment, I had the calling to become a pastor. And uh, back in, uh, I'm getting to be an old fogey. And uh, back in the 70s, I started having some questions about, you know, science and God and faith and what that meant. And I did my little Jonah story, which I call it, where I ran away from Pennsylvania and went out to the University of Arizona uh, for my undergraduate college degree. And there, something just amazing happened to me. My the, the day after Thanksgiving in 1975, the first Thanksgiving I'd ever spent away from family, I was out in the desert uh, with a bunch of folks. And it was just becoming sunset. And I was out there in the desert, and I came upon this giant saguaro, the great big cactus. And uh, this particular cactus had two perfectly um, symmetrical arms sticking out of it. And it was literally standing before this gigantic red sun. And my heart and my mind and my eyes, my whole being saw the sun being not an S-U-N, but S-O-N. And that cactus being the cross. And I literally fell down on my knees and gave my life back to Christ. And um, while I didn't pursue the call to ministry for 14 more years, or 15 more years, actually, I um, creation sort of really brought me back to God. And that's probably one of the reasons I ended up where I'm at today. But um, so it's just been a tremendous journey. Oh, yeah. Uh, boy, I understand. It's just like you see God's handiwork. And Psalm 19 says the heavens are telling the glory of God. And it, and it really speaks to our hearts, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I love going to our national parks and uh, monuments and all sorts of things because I really find God there, and, and most people do. In fact, it's one of the questions I ask most people when I speak at a local church is how many people have um, had an experience with God in the great outdoors in the midst of his native creation. And, you know, over 90% have, and it's, that psalm is really true. Yeah, that when yeah. we see the artistry of God and how he gave us this beautiful planet to live on and care for, um, it's just miraculous. And, um, you know, it's some healings. One of the stories I tell often, just a little bit of a side, is there are a number of people, number of groups, some of them Christians, some not, who are taking our mentally wounded and physically wounded veterans out to our national parks and not doing anything except letting them experience it and watching them be transformed and healed. Mm. And I just think that just is another great example of the testimony of God's peace and glory that can find in the midst of creation. Oh, amen. Yeah. Yeah, and anybody that's listening, I, I encourage you to get out and do whatever it is you do. You know, I love to see the birds and fish, but uh, hiking and paddling around uh, the lakes and, you know, there's lots of great places to hike. So I uh, really, really encourage you to, to enjoy that and commune with God in, in that setting. Well, you were, you were obviously touched by, by nature, by God's handiwork in a special way. And you went into the pastorate, but then then something something else must have happened to 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 cause you to to leave the. I guess you you haven't really left the pastorate in a sense because you're you're pastoring in a different sense, but to leave uh, the local church pastorate and go to a group called the Evangelical Environmental Network. So what what got into you to to make that kind of move? 
Well, after being 18 years as a local church pastor, I felt this really tugging from God in my heart to, that I was being called to a different kind of ministry. And I really wasn't sure what that's going to be. Um, but I know that God's given me two really strong passions in my life. Um, the first is to tell the good news of Jesus, to be an evangelist. And I love telling that God loves everybody. And um, the other thing is to care for the, the least of these, our children, the poor, you know, fulfilling the, what Jesus tells us in Matthew 25. And I find that in creation care, both are very real. In fact, something that just, uh, it just testifies to my calling is um, when I travel around the country, and especially travel by air, um, somebody will, you know, often sit beside me in a middle seat. Oftentimes that's a younger person. Sometimes it's a flight attendant that I talk to. But um, they'll ask me what I do for a living, and they'll say, well, I'm an evangelical environmentalist. And the number one response is, what in the, you know, H-E double hockey sticks are you talking about? <laughs> and um, so then I open up the Bible and explain God's creation to them and what the Bible says about caring for God's creation and I've literally, you know, dozens upon dozens, you know, four or five dozen people I've led to a first time or renewed their relationship with Christ right on an airplane at 30 or 35,000 feet. And um, it just tells the, the witness so that so many people, you know, get connected with God outside and they see the marvelous wonder of His creation. But we need to have the church open up their eyes to see what the Bible says about it, that it really is that conduit to building a relationship with God. Mm. Well, that's, that's tremendous, yeah. It's, it's interesting sometimes how God will open doors, and, and you're just in the right place at the right time, aren't you? Absolutely. And, you know, and then you, you have to be open to those senses and experiences. And, you know, whether I open the Bible on my phone or the one in my briefcase that's written out, um, it's very easy to point out, you know, God loves all of his creation, not only us, but the birds, the rest of the animals, and the earth and the water itself. Yeah, and I think I think that's so important to to keep that in mind, the totality and the interconnectedness. Well, what what is the Evangelical Environmental Network? What what's your mission? What sort of things do you do? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, we have two primary missions, and the first is to educate the evangelical church on God's mandate to care for His creation. So we spend an awful lot of time. Um, traveling to churches, to Christian colleges, um, to Christian conferences, talking about creation care. I just uh, came back from two weekends ago. I spent talking to 200 pastors out in Ohio, um, doing another big event at the Columbus Vineyard Church in Ohio. Um, I was down at a Baptist church in San Antonio uh, last December. I traveled all over the place to really to spread the word of God's creation. And then the second thing we do is we... Uh, try to educate um, lawmakers both at the national level and state level that God wants his creation cared for, and especially the impacts of pollution on children's health, and especially on unborn children's health, because children that are in the womb are the most vulnerable to pollution worldwide, hands down. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's a very much a pro-life issue. Um, I believe is the the National Association of Evangelicals do, and so does Focus on the Family, for that matter, and even the Catholic Church, that um, a real Christian has a, 
a total pro-life ethic. We call it uh, from the womb to the tomb, from conception until natural death, that we're supposed to be involved in caring and loving all of life. And so we then spend an awful lot of time talking about how we protect our children, and are both born and unborn, from the ravages of pollution. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if someone wants to find out more about the Evangelical and Environmental Network, uh, what's, what's your website? It's real easy. It's uh, www.creationcare.org. So it's a real simple one. It's Caring for God. Just remember, Caring for God's Creation, creationcare.org. And you can find all sorts of resources from what we do when we talk to lawmakers to sermons to Bible studies. In fact, we have a really wonderful Bible study for women called Healthy Creation Equals Healthy Children. And it's designed just for women in the local church and some practical guides and things they can do to keep their children healthy and to also care for God's creation. And just a, a couple other things about Mitch. He's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he's co-author of a book called Caring for Creation. Uh, his co-author is a meteorologist and entrepreneur. So it's, it's, uh, it's really a fascinating blend of approach to the environmental issues that we face and the biblical calling, our biblical mandate to take care of creation. So I'd highly recommend it. We'll talk more about it, Caring for Creation. Uh, and then Mitch has also been a, a on TV. He's been in front of Congress. He's been on CNN and Fox. And so uh, we're, we're very fortunate today to have somebody that's had a lot of different experiences and really spoken for Christ, spoken for the body of Christ in a way that uh, I think is dealing with something that's important to the culture at large, and that uh, gives us, I think, an, an identity as, as God's people caring about His creation. So I uh, thank you for, for those efforts, Mitch, and I pray that, uh, that that will continue, and God will continue to open doors for you. Well, absolutely. And, and just one of the things I'd like to say is that, you know, even though I said and I tell people jokingly that I'm an evangelical environmentalist, I don't consider myself an environmentalist. I am foremost and without doubt a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what I do is because of what the, Jesus has called me to do and then what the Bible tells me to do. And I think that's the whole basis of who I am and for what I do is just to, to be sharing that love of God and to be building His kingdom. And uh, that's just everything that drives my inner being is to try to be the best representative of Jesus I can be. Well, let, but let's, let's, let's dig in then a little bit on the, on the biblical basis for Christians uh, being concerned about caring for God's creation. You know, what, what is a biblical basis? What do, you, what do you look at? What verses? What approach? What's your kind of big picture reasoning as far as being uh, an evangelical involved in taking care of God's creation? Well, I mean, you can really start in Genesis, but let's start at Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, the earth belongs to God, and all creations belong to God. It does not belong to us. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 is probably the next favorite verse of mine. It says that the whole creation, the whole earth, was created for, by, and through Jesus Christ. Not for us, but for God. And I think that's really one of the most powerful things that we need to think about. In fact, Leviticus talks about, Leviticus um, 25, verse 23 says, The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you, us people, 
reside in the land as foreigners and tenants. Hmm. And I think that's a really powerful verse because, you know, when I'm out talking to people, you know, one of the questions I ask people in the local church is, you know, you know, do you live in an apartment or have you ever lived in an apartment? Or maybe if you went to college, a dorm room. And I ask people, did they have to sign a contract, a lease that had specific things they could do and couldn't do to that apartment or that dorm room? And, you know, everybody says, of course, yes. I mean, you can't play black or poke holes into it. And we're given the same thing in the Bible. We're giving instructions on how to care for the earth and how to care for what's God. You know, Isaiah 24 says that um, human beings destroy the earth because we don't follow God's commandments. Mm-hmm. And people often look at me and say, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, and I say it half-jokingly, but, you know, some of the first guides to how we live sustainably with the earth, to live in tune with the earth, to live in one with the earth, happen in people's two favorite books of the Bible. They read every day, Numbers and Leviticus, which is sort of a joke, because <laughs> nobody reads Leviticus and Numbers. But it's there. It talks about, you know, animal husbandry and... Um, crop rotation and the basic sort of guidelines of tending and using the earth that benefits humanity but also cares and allows the next generations to use it and for all of us to use the earth. And I think getting to that mindset that we are tenants, we're not owners. And I know that in from the American point of view and you know, it's difficult to come to grips that we don't own our land or the earth. You know, but we don't. It's God's. And, you know, Genesis 2.15 gives us one of the first commandments in the Bible. We are called to tend and care for the garden. And for me, I very much argue that when Genesis talks about the garden, it talks about the entire earth known to the people who read the Bible for the first time. You know, really, it literally says from the Tigris and Euphrates River over to the Nile. So it's really describing what they would know as the whole world. And, yeah, we're supposed to use it, but we're supposed to use it wisely, to tend and care for it. Like, I don't know what you are. I, I love to garden for vegetables. My wife is a big flower person and other things. She's a master gardener. But I love to grow vegetables. And you don't grow vegetables if you don't, you know, take care of the soil. If you don't replenish it with, um, we compost our own compost and put that in the garden. Try not to use any chemicals at all in our garden because we know the health impacts of that. And so... Think about that. If you know, if your gardener is just walking outside, or source of our food, is we want to replenish it and care for it, not just burn it out, not be like the, you know, down south or even in Texas where we farm cotton so much that we destroyed the land. Yeah. Um, all of those things were, were abuses of God. There were sins. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. I grew up in a, a cotton cotton patch area. We had the largest cotton gin in the world when I was a boy, and uh, I've read recently about the large numbers of cancer cases in our county, and uh, people are just speculating, you know, that there were so many chemicals used so widely uh, that they've dam- it's damaged the land, and we're all, you know, suffering the consequences of that. So uh, we do need to oh. think, think all about uh, all the aspects, don't we? Well, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that, you know, that helps to drive this message home to people in local churches is that one in three children in the United States have autism, ADHD, asthma, or severe allergies 
with definitive medical links to petrochemicals and fossil fuels. Those same chemicals you put out there in the th- in, on those yards that we didn't know, we didn't realize how bad they were for us, how they are. Um, you know, fossil fuel gives out over 100 different toxic chemicals, whether it's burning stuff in your car or a coal-fired power plant or a natural gas-fired power plant. They emit a lot of toxins that are, are literally changing us. In fact, it's so bad in the United States today that we're literally changing our DNA. Mm. Some of those things, especially coming from some of the plastics that we rapid, you know, rapidly use in the United States, young boys are becoming less fertile. We have the highest generation of males in the United States being born today with the lowest fertility rates. And that same estrogen or hormone-changing chemicals that happen in those pesticides and fossil fuels are actually one of the leading suspects in what's going to be the 30% increase in breast cancer in women in the United States by 2030. We're literally poisoning ourselves, and we just haven't realized it. And that's one of the things that I want to get across to people is that, you know, caring about God's creation isn't a matter of even walking outside your door. It's about looking at your own family. You know, we've seen the 80% increase in autism. And, you know, when I was a little kid, nobody had peanut allergies. They sure do today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've read that uh, even leaving, living close to a freeway or on the edge of a freeway incre- increases the chances of asthma and other respiratory disease. So uh, not, none of us really escape these issues. And nope. it's, for, it's, it's even worse in parts of Texas where we have, you know, the chemical plants and the oil refineries. I mean, we're, we're obviously a big oil state, and the oil business here is uh, a major part of our economy, but it's also a major part of... Uh, of the issues that, that we face uh, yeah. in our, in our right. air you know, pollution. You know, and the, I mean, I don't know all of your listening area, but, you know, Austin and San Antonio um, both fail for ozone pollution, smog. Mm-hmm. And one of the leading causes of that is just the leaking methane out of the oil patch. And that's something we can do something about. We can help solve about 90% of those leaks if people just take care of it. And because the, especially coming out of the natural gas industry, the the air leaks out of compressors and tanks and seals and flows up in the air, and especially as our world gets warmer, the ozone gets bad. And the American Lung Association describes a, a child that has asthma when they get these high ozone level days, and like you guys have in Austin and San Antonio. It feels like you're sunburning the inside of your lungs. That's, that's painful to think about, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't breathe, and it is terrible. And yet it is something we can do something about it. You know, we don't have to, I'm, I mean, while I'd love to see us reduce our use on fossil fuels, we can do things right now that we don't have to stop using it, but we can just stop the leaks, stop overusing it to really make a difference, especially in caring for our children's health. You know, you mentioned living by the freeways. The, that's soot, and um, very fine soot, 2.5 microns in size, is one of the leading it, 15,000 babies in the United States are born earlier just because of that soot, and a third of those die. 
in soot in general statistically kills about 105,000 people in the United States every year. Both of those are life issues to me, and we have to pay attention to them, and we can do something about it. Well, when we when we say we're pro life, uh, you 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 were really on an important concept. I think pro, we we think of pro life as saving the baby in the womb, and it certainly is, and it's that's there's nothing that would diminish that. But all aspects of life have, at all stages, you know, the tomb to the womb phrase, but. Yep how it goes in between is pretty important, too. And and that's a lot of what you're talking about, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I believe, you know, very seriously, John 10.10, 10, that Jesus came to have us give us life and have it abundantly. And having abundant life is not just having a great relationship with Jesus. It's having a great physical life, the best that we can have, given who we are, to enjoy that life, too, to be able to breathe, to be able to run, if we're a person that has disabilities, to be able to do the best that they can without limitations. And that's the joy of abundant life that Jesus wants each one of his children to have. And that's why, to me, this is such a pro-life issue, is that you know, literally concerned about caring about life from the moment it's conceived until it's time to go home to be with the Lord. Yeah. Well, and it, and it really ties into this sense of everything being interconnected. The The planet is a system... Uh, with a variety of subsystems within it, but they all connect so that if we, if our fertilizer runs into the stream, it impacts the quality of the water. As we drive our car through the air, it it has a, an impact on the quality of that air. And here in Austin, San Antonio, the wind blows and it brings the methane that's in the air from the Permian Basin. And so we we have a lower air quality now, you know, than we had 20 years ago. Uh, but Absolutely, you know, and even this year, the something that I rely on a lot, the American Lung Association every year publishes what they call the State of the Air Report, and it comes out at the end of April um, each year. And this year, for the first time in a great number of years, more people in America are living in polluted air than in the year before. Mm. And one of the reasons for that is our Earth is warming up, and the ozone that we just talked about, the smog, when you add more heat to smog, it gets, breeds more smog, and it's making it worse. And that's one of the leading causes of making things worse for our kids right here and now and our older adults. I mean, you know, what is it? And I believe in the San Antonio, well, in Travis County and, and Bear County, there are already 62,000 kids that have asthma another 170,000 adults that have asthma, and about 110,000 people that have adults that have COPD. And having this poor air quality with this high smog rate is just making their life a, a living H-E double hockey stick again. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Well, um, let me just insert something hopeful. Uh, I understand that Los Angeles has better air quality now than it had 40 years ago. Right. So there are things uh, that we can do, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in the second half of our program. We, we do need to take a break. Mitch, we'll, we'll continue in just a little bit.